but I'm gonna, we're, we're gonna kind of deviate from something normal because this text has something maybe you've never seen before. And so if, you have, if we had the slides up there, the message title would be called The Strange Tale of Two Men Named Jesus. Now, I'm not big on titles, but I thought that was really cool, and maybe it'll pique your interest on what is gonna happen today, right? The Strange Tale of Two Men Named Jesus. And this is uh, ultimately fascinating to me. So if you haven't been with us, uh, we're in, we've been working our way this entire year through the book of John. John is unique from the other three gospels is telling kind of a different story, right? It's the son of God story is what we like to call it, right? So we have the son of man. We have, we have all these angles of Jesus. If, if Jesus is a diamond, we have different ways of looking at him. And each gospel author is recording different things about his ministry, right? They, they clue into different things. It's very much like if all, if all of us saw an accident or something happened. Actually, when Trace gets back Sunday, and Trace is like, what the heck happened? Why weren't the TVs working? You know, what was going on? We would all have a different point of view because we all came in at different areas. We saw different things. This happened, this happened. And then if you take all the clues together, we have a whole story. You left my charge. that's what happened. <laughs> right? And so that's very much why we have four Gospels because they're all recording it. They all have different frames of thoughts. So John is the, the son of God. We see a lot of uh, a different angle here. And so what happened last week to catch up to the story is we're nearing the end of John. And Jesus was arrested. He was betrayed by whom? Judas. Is that a question? Yes, Judas. Judas betrayed him. And so uh, Judas showed up with hundreds of soldiers. They arrested him. Peter got squirrely, right? Pulled out a knife. What did he do? Cut off a dude's ear, right? Okay, so we got the scene going on here. So they take Jesus in. Jesus stops a mass murder from happening right there because the Roman soldiers will clean out the Jesus movement before it started. We see how foolish that is because if the Roman soldiers killed the 12 disciples, has this all been in vain, right? Like, these guys are going to carry us in the book of Acts. So Jesus stops it, they arrest him, they bring him in. And the first people they bring him to, he's questioned by the high priests, right? And they're, they're, they're trying to set up their charges because they need to kill this guy. And so last week, Trace walked us through that. And what they did is, this is where we're going to pick up at. And... I'm going to stop between verses because we're going to talk about them and we're going to spend our time towards the end of the text. So this is verse 28. It says, They led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's house. It was early morning. Uh, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Okay, so the governor's headquarters here is going to be the military headquarters, right? It's the uh, Latin word praetorium. Um, so this is where... Um, course, we know Pilate is going to be housed for the, um, for the uh, festival that's going on in Jerusalem. If, in ESV, it says it happened in the early morning. So when you jump into the actual language here, this is happening between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they're trying to make this a very speedy arrest, trial, conviction, get them out, right? So uh, the earliest they can say is definitely before 6 a.m. and no earlier than 3 a.m., right? So remember, Jesus... On the night he was betrayed, remember, he, he was praying, he was going all these things, he gets arrested early, it's dark, and you guys can see what's happening here. Okay, um, now the text also says that they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled. Uh, the Mishnah, which is the, uh, the Mishnah is the written oral law, right? so the Jews had all these oral law, and then eventually they got to writing them down, that's called the Mishnah. 
And it states this, it says, the dwelling places of the Gentiles are unclean. Okay? Now, in the Mishnah, the footnote, Chris, that's a little bit hot. Can you turn me down, please? Um, it says, the dwelling places of the Gentiles are unclean is because their fetuses, aborted fetuses, are down their drains, right? The Gentiles had these, these practices. The Jews couldn't be near a dead body without being ceremonially unclean. So what they did is they said, all Gentiles, therefore, must be doing this to babies. Therefore, every Gentile house is unclean. You see what's happening here? I mean, it's, it's a, one, it's a very large stereotype, an assumption. But it also tells you the horrific things that are happening in this culture as well. Uh, so that's why they would be defiled. Now, it is interesting to note, if you're taking notes here, that the Jews who are uh, bringing Jesus to Pilate, right? They want to have him killed. They were worried about being ceremonially unclean, but they had no problems condemning an innocent man. Isn't that weird? Right? I have no problems lying to get a guy killed, but I don't want to walk in your house just in case there was a dead body. <laughs> it, it, it's the ultimate in hypocrisy, uh, what's happening here. Uh, okay, so let's look at verse 29. It says, so Pilate went outside to them, and they're standing outside, and he's up on the banquet, the Jews couldn't come in, and they have Jesus. And he said to them, what, accus what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we wouldn't have delivered him to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, if this guy wasn't a bad guy, I wouldn't have brought him to jail. Oh, of course I can trust him. Right? You see how hokey this whole thing already seems. Um, later on, they're going to accuse him of, of being a king. You're going to see this. The Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Okay, let's pause again. Can the Jews put people to death? Yes or no? Yes. They can stone people. But the Old Testament is littered with references. Um, reasons why you can kill a human being, right? You shall not sleep with your neighbor's wife. You must be killed, right? If a man kills somebody, if a man spills another man's blood, you must kill him, right? So this is an outright, it's a lie, right? So now, hopefully, we're reading the story, it's like, wait a minute, right? Hopefully we have some question marks here. Wait a minute, something's going on here. Apparently they want him to die a certain way. Now, could the Jews crucify him? No, they can't. This is Roman death, right? So they want him to die a certain way. We're going to talk about that. Verse 32, it says, This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now, Jesus had told people how he was going to die. But there's a verse in Deuteronomy um, that says, Cursed is everyone who hangs from a tree. If you die on the cross, if you die by hanging, it is assumed that you are under God's curse. So what the Jews were trying to do here by them not stoning him, right? Remember, they stoned Paul. But they tried to. I, I pretty much think Paul probably died. I think he was raised, in my personal opinion. Uh, Stephen died the first martyr, right? Remember, he was preaching, and they stoned him. And so it would have been easy to grab Jesus and say he committed these blasphemies, and everybody picks up rocks and kills him. But remember, everybody was kind of worried that they didn't want him to die a martyr's death, right? Where all the people say, this is a good man, and they get angry at the Jews. So what better way to have this guy hung up on a cross, and then the Jews could go and tell everybody, this man is under God's curse. Cursed is everyone who hangs from a tree. You see what's happening here? 
they, they need to frame the story correctly for the people. Jesus went about doing good and healing all sorts of kinds of diseases and feeding people. I mean, Jesus was a popular figure, right? Did Jesus do any harm while he was on the surface? No. Right? Okay. Well, that can beat this horse too much because we, we have a lot of things to talk about. Um, so, uh, looking back over this little text we just read here, so we have a, a guy named Pilate. Uh, uh, Pontius is a, you, another text they call him Pontius Pilate. Uh, Pontius is the family name. His name is Pilate. Uh, he was the fifth Roman governor of Jerusalem. Right? So we know that the Jews were under occupation, that Rome was under occupation here, and he happened to be the guy that that drew this stick to be over Jerusalem at the time that the king of the world would be crucified. Uh, he didn't live in Jerusalem. He would come to town during the large gatherings, right? So we have an influx of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are descending upon Jerusalem for what feast? Passover is about to happen. And so Rome would staff up. We have extra troops there. The, the governors in town, the Roman governor, all the leaders would be there is because they want to keep peace, right? Nothing like a large group of people to, to do that. Um, okay, let's keep going here. So let's look at verse 33. It says, So Pilate enters his headquarters again and called Jesus. And he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Do you say this of your own accord, or do others say it to you about me? Okay. I know we're pausing a lot here, but... Look at the boldness Jesus has. This man has his life in his hands, right? He's, he knows what's going to happen. Does Jesus think at all he's going to escape conviction? No, he's just a man. Did you say this, or did somebody else tell you to say it, right? Like, I, I would be cowering at this point. I would still be sweating and drops of blood. And Pilate answered, verse 35, he says, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, that's important there, your nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Okay, underline the nation and the chief priests. These are the people that are giving up Jesus. So we have the nation and we have the religious system, the Jews here. So we have two areas. Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Thanks, Peter. That I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Okay, you notice he said, I would be delivered over to the Jews. Notice he didn't say to the Romans. The Romans are going to kill him. But in his mind, I was delivered over to the Jews. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Remember, he did not say my kingdom is not in this world. Of and in, they're going to be very different. Because is God's kingdom now in this world? Yes. Jesus went about proclaiming the kingdom of God. The kingdom is here, right? Now, sometimes when we think about the kingdom, we think about the kingdom that is coming, which is true. But the moment Jesus was born was the great announcement. The, the word gospel, the good news, is the good news of the kingdom. If we say the gospel is only our salvation, we've cheapened the gospel. That's a part of it. But the biggest herald of the good news is the kingdom of God is here. Repent. Right? We have a king. And the king has shown up. A kingdom, remember, a king has a domain. A kingdom, a king's domain. So, are you in God's kingdom right now? If you're a believer, yeah. The kingdom is here. So I'm not of the world, but you and I both know that he is in the world. His kingdom is advancing. Verse 37, Then Pilate said to him, So you're a king. 
And Jesus answered him, You say that I am the king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? What is truth? I mean, you couldn't ask a more esoteric question, right? Sounds like he's been studying Greek philosophers. What is truth? So Jesus here proclaims, which we've spent a lot of time on, that Jesus has come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And we could ask, what is the truth? We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, Jesus is truth, right? God is truth. His way of doing things is truth. His word is truth. And Jesus says this was for the purpose that he was born. Uh, a study you could do that would not waste your time is to do a study of why Jesus came into this world. What the, specifically what the scripture says, because it actually says several things why Jesus came. One of them is here, is to bear witness to the truth. Another one he says is that, that he was manifest, that he might destroy the works of darkness. Right? He's got all these missions. And I would say if I had a goal for today's message, is to have us as a church start thinking about Jesus' mission as so much greater than only, and I hate to say it because honestly the best thing he did was get rid of our carrier of sin and our burdens. That's the big chunk of it, right? That was, that is his final thing he has to do. I don't want to make light of that because without that, we're not in this kingdom. We're not having this discussion, right? But a lot of Christians think that's the only thing he accomplished. He, had, he has a list a mile long of things he has to do. We're going to actually get into that. This text actually talks about that a little bit. But one of them is to bear witness. He has to be the sin bearer. He has to destroy the works of darkness. He, he, you know, he can't just be so single-minded. He has to do all these things in a span of three and a half years. It's, it's absolutely amazing what he does. Okay, so Pilate questions what is truth. Let's keep moving here. Verse 38. And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Okay. That's the end of our text, right? It's like, okay, so what could possibly be happening now? So... Here's what we want to spend the rest of our time on. We need to talk about this guy, Barabbas. Everyone's heard of this guy, right? He's the guy that everyone wanted to be released. So we can get a little more into the story. I'm going to read a couple of the scriptures. You don't have to turn it I'll read it to you, but if you want the reference, this comes out of Luke chapter 23. And in verse 18, it's telling the same story. But here's what Luke, how he records it. It says, they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. And a man who had been thrown into prison. Now get this. It doesn't say he's a robber. He says, for, in, for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Right? So sometimes when we translate uh, Greek and Aramaic, these things over to English, depending on what you, the word the authors used, we get words like robber, which actually is a kind of a correct translation for the word that John used. But it's not real accurate. It's not like he's a cat murderer, right? Okay, this guy stole some bread and... This, so this guy started an insurrection. You guys know what an insurrection is? 
kind of like a mutant, right? He was trying to kick Rome out of Jerusalem. <laughs> he, you know the very thing they wanted Jesus to do? Remember, they wanted to make Jesus king. And everybody's expecting Jesus to do what to the Romans? They hide it. So here's a guy who actually did that. And then in the insurrection, he kills somebody, right? It's like Ron Burgundy. Rick actually killed a guy, right? It's like, Brahma's actually killed a guy, right? So he can't run down to Mexico to cool his heels. Like, they caught him. And he's in jail. So let's look at Matthew 27, verse 15. Here's Matthew's story. Now, as the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then, listen to this, a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to him, Why, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy they had delivered him up. So here it gives us some um, insight into Pilate. Pilate knew they were jealous of the guy. Uh, Matthew 27, 19 says this. Besides, there he was sitting on the judgment seat. His wife sent word to him, Pilate's wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor again said to them, uh, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be Okay, so we have this notorious guy who started an insurrection, and, and he's a murderer. Pilate is interesting here because he knows the Jews are jealous. His wife, imagine the pressure this guy's under. He's ruling Jerusalem. Imagine getting a, a letter from your wife or your husband that says, look, I, I've had bad dreams about this. This is not going to go well. Don't do anything to this guy. But you have a crowd, crucified, crucified, right? They all want these things. Uh, not part of my notes, but history actually records uh, Pilate will kill himself in three years. Most of the story will say that. That he goes and he sacks, um, uh, he, I think he's in Syria, he does something, and he gets in trouble for it. He gets called back to Rome. He has to answer for it because people start complaining how brutal he was. He gets exiled and then he kills himself in three years. So, sad tale. Anyways. This is all the pressure that he is under uh, for this guy named Barabbas. Now, if you're not reading the ESV, the King James, ESV, and the NSV don't have this. I want to read you Matthew uh, 27, 15 from the NIV. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. And that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So some translations actually add the name Jesus to Barabbas' name, Jesus Barabbas. There's a handful of those. It's not quite 50-50. Um, some more modern texts are actually adding it, right? So what happened is when people were making the translations of the Bible, what we have here is we have two guys named Jesus. One is in jail, one is going to jail. And so some scholars argue they didn't want to confuse people. So they, didn't use it. they, they just got rid of the Jesus, Yeshua. Some people say it's not in all the manuscripts, right? So it's in some manuscripts, it's not in some. So this is the big scholarly debate of why this guy's name was dropped. Okay, so, so here's our tale of two guys named Jesus. This is going to get so good. I hope you're paying attention. Uh, for the treehouse people that are taking notes, you could put, there are two people named Jesus. Oh, 
That's free stuff right there. It's free candy in the back. Okay, so I want now we got to talk about what's in a name, right? So, have you ever seen that meme with the guy from you know looking at all the lines and you're like, hey, this guy connects to this guy, connects to this guy, connects to this one, right? Like, or the police that has the big, you know, the yarn and the dots and he's trying to connect everything together. I'm not going to try to do that for you. If we had a screen, actually had some, it would make it a little bit easier. But I'm going to use my hands and I will talk louder and you sound smarter. That's, that's my plan right now. So we got to talk about what's in a name. I've been intentionally pronouncing the name Barabbas wrong. It's actually pronounced Barabbas. And what that means, we separate the bar and A-B-B-A-S stands for bar Abbas, son of the father. Abba. Barabbas means son of the father. So we have a guy here named Jesus, son of the father. Barabbas. Okay, some of you, some light bulbs are going off here. It's like, oh, now we have another guy, Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, our Jesus, right from Nazareth. We have Jesus, the Son of the Father, Jesus, the Son of God. One is guilty, one is innocent. The Son of the Father is guilty. The Son of God is innocent. Okay, what, what is the scripture trying to tell us about these names? Even if you don't think his name was Jesus. His name is still Barabbas. He's still son of the father, right? So this doesn't change what the text is telling us, by the way. Exodus 4.22 says God is talking to Moses, and he wants to relay a message to Pharaoh. So he says, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Do you know that God had more than one son when Jesus was on earth? Israel is his first son. God sent his son. We have two sons now. We have the son of the father, Israel. We have the son of God, Jesus the Christ. That's why in Matthew, they always say, who he wants to release? Barabbas or Jesus, who is the Christ? He's mentally separating the two because I think what he's saying is, you want me to release Jesus Barabbas or Jesus uh, priesthood, right? The, the Christ. So Israel is called the Son of God. What is happening here? I'm going to show you what's happening. That's what I'm going to do. Because I don't have the slide to show it to you. We have a guy that's in jail that will be crucified. Jesus is taking some of the spot. He's taking the first son's spot. Do you see what's happening there? There's three crosses that are going to be hung up there. And originally we have two thieves, and we have Barabbas that's supposed to be in the center of that. And he's there because he did an insurrection and he killed somebody. He's very notorious. This is a bad guy. And he's going to be killed there. But what happens is they grab Jesus of Nazareth. You can't say that word today. I'll just say Jesus, our Jesus, the Son of God. And what they do is they exchange places. Jesus, the Son of the Father, who is guilty, is set free. That's Israel. Jesus, the Son of God, our Jesus, is going to hang on that cross. Do you see what's happening here? Now, all the time, we talk about how Jesus took our place on that cross. True. Our sins were with him. Because he died, we live. 100% true. But what is happening in this text and happening in this moment, Jesus was sent to Israel. We're not in this thing yet. Gentiles approach Jesus. He said, I'm not sent to the Gentiles, right? He knows this is going to come later. Friends, we are grafted into Israel. 
Who were God's chosen people? Israel. Who were the elect? Israel, right? The Bible says they are elect because they inherited the promises of God. We're outsiders, unless you're Jews. We're outsiders. We have no part of the covenants of God. We are without hope in this world and we have nothing because God is dealing with them. Jesus comes. Now the plan was always for us to be in it, right? Because he told Abraham, I'm going to make great nation out of you, right? Every knee, every tribe of every tongue, they're going to come. This is part of the Messianic promise too. But Jesus' mission was Israel. He was sent to Israel because God had to tie up new sentence. He started the covenant promise with the people of Abraham. And he has to be faithful to it because God's word cannot be broken. He's dealing with them. And so what's happening here, this moment when the people are crying out for Barnabas instead of Jesus, we have something so symbolic and so rich happening that is telling us the entire story of the Old Testament, is that there is a son of the father who is a murderer, who is unfaithful, right? Who does things in his own strength, right? Who's always trying to do it his way. And everything he does deserves death. And he's scheduled for death this weekend. And at the last moment, the son of God shows up and he takes his place and he hangs on the cross. That's God fulfilling his promise to Israel. Now, this is so good. In um, Luke 23, 25, it sums it up. He says, Pilate released the man who had been thrown in the prison for insurrection and murder, and they delivered Jesus over to the people's will. The son of the father was set free, Israel. The son of God would take the fall, Jesus. Hosea 11, 1 says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called Egypt, and I called out of Egypt, I called my son. Hosea 11, 1. So G, the scriptures here, God is calling Israel his son again. He says, I called him out of Egypt. In Matthew 2, 14, it says, and he rose, this is Joseph and Mary, and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called him my son. The prophecies of Israel, the prophecies of Jesus are married, friends. The prophecy was true when God called Israel out of Egypt, was it not? When God called Jesus out of Israel, did that make the prophecies true? Yes, it did. How can a prophecy speak to two different people and both be true? Because, my friends, Jesus is the greater Israel. Jesus is the faithful son, the better way to say it. Now, I hate it when people say we've replaced Israel. Israel's never been replaced. God has always dealt and will continue to deal with his covenant people. Amen? But Jesus' role on this earth was to be the faithful son that Israel never was. In order for God to bring about the promises in his word to Abraham, he needed a faithful partner. Right? Remember how many times God will start a sentence. He's talking to Israel. And whoever's in charge, he, he tells Moses, he tells Abraham, he tells Joshua, Jacob, and David, on down the line. If you're faithful and obey my commandments, I will do X. Right? Have you heard that before? If you're faithful and do this, I will do this. Right? So God says, you do this, I do this. You do this, I do this. You do this, I do this. And it's all over your mind. The problem is, is did Israel ever do this? No. So did God ever do this? No. 
<laughs> we have a big problem. God doesn't have to fulfill these covenants because who broke the covenant? The son. Israel. Israel broke it. And God wants to bring about his good world and his good will on people. He says, hey, when I looked around, it bothered me that no, there was no one there to save. And there was no one there to help. He goes, therefore I, I sent myself. I got to do this myself. And so Jesus comes, the Son of God, and he is able to do things perfectly. Now you've heard me talk about these things, and it's worth remembering. Uh, I use this one because I just love this example. Jesus is in Egypt. And the next thing the narrative tells us, he's getting baptized by John and the River. And the next thing that happens after baptism is Jesus is in the desert for 40 days fasting, right? Egypt, water, desert. Have you ever heard this story before? Can you name anybody else that was in Egypt, went through the water, and went into the desert? Israel and Moses. That's right. Jesus' life is mirroring Israel's life. And that's not the only one of There's example after example after example. Trace brought up a couple weeks ago, because in, in David, right, like where David's betrayer is riding a horse, got caught in the tree, and he hung himself. The guy that betrayed David. And what happened to Jesus in betrayer? He hung himself. There's so many mirrors. If you, once you know the Old Testament, and you start thinking about the life of Jesus, you will see that God put Jesus in these weird situations where he has the opportunity to be the faithful son. Where Israel failed, Jesus passes. And if you use that first example I gave you, where Jesus was in Egypt, Jesus went through the waters of baptism, Jesus was in the desert. What did Jesus do in the desert? Fasting. What were the people complaining about in the desert in Israel? They didn't have any food. Right? God had to send manna from heaven. Right? And did they just accept that and were they grateful and did they start complaining about that? Well, if you don't know, they complained about that too. Which we had some meat, right? Sounds like us. I like it. If I went to Brian's house and I expect a barbecue or something and he brings out a bunch of bread, I'm like, oh, this must be appetizing. No bread, no meat comes. I'm complaining on the way home. <laughs> and so it's easy for us to identify with these people. But Jesus goes to the desert and he has to eat. And the first thing Satan says to him is, command these rocks to become stone. What does Jesus say? Thanks, sir. Yeah, man does not live off bread alone. You know where that scripture comes from? Deuteronomy when the children were hungry in the desert. Jesus quotes the exact scripture that God told Israel when they were complaining about food. Do you think this is an accident that Jesus' life looks like this? It's not. God is very big on uh, types and enemies. This is how we communicate, right? This gospel, this Bible, is meant to be told as a story. It's not a story. That's how we do As humans, we love stories, right? Why do you think we go to movies and we read books and write people that are really good at speaking? They're good storytellers, right? Because they draw you into these crazy stories. Well, we could actually just take the small section of John, but we could actually tell the whole story of the Bible, that there was somebody who was very unfaithful, that God called his son. He did things according to his plan, he murdered, he fought authority. And no matter how hard he tried, he didn't accomplish what he set out to accomplish. Matter of fact, it led him further from the God that bore him, so much so that he had to be killed. Then a guy shows up who is completely perfect, who has the same name, who they're both sons, 
shows up and he takes that place. And you're heading into this weekend knowing you're going to hang on a cross outside the city and then send someone else to hang in your place and you're free to go. That's the story of the Bible, my friends. That's it. And so the fact that we have this guy and then Bar Moss, Jesus, Bar Moss, and Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of the Father, the Son of the God, changing places, should not be lost on us. We should insert ourselves into the gospel picture, but think bigger than that. What Jesus is doing here. He's fulfilling the covenant promise that made with Abraham. The God who cut covenant with Abraham, he just fulfilled it right there. He's faithful. He counted all those generations of Jews that have missed him. They are now counted faithful in Christ Jesus. Where they failed, he passed. And it wasn't just that he passed, he then took their punishment and he took their place. God is awesome. He's the truth. He's the light. Shut up and get it. The problem is these people yelling, crucify, crucify, and they have no idea everything they've been waiting for has just been accomplished. All the times they haven't been faithful. The Jews have suffered tremendously throughout history. Have they not? Even in our recent memory, have the Jews suffered? You think of World War II, right? As a nation, as a people, they've suffered, they've suffered. And what happens is God was there to end all these things that were um, and he does it. So good. You see, have you guys ever seen that before? Jesus bar boss. I love it. Okay. Well, I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, Trace, uh, actually, Sam is picking up something. Are you preaching next week? Okay. Surprise. <laughs> One thing I'll say is when you, when you read the Bible, and this is just tremendously helpful as one, as one of your pastors. One question you can always ask, have I seen this somewhere else in the Bible? In modern technology, we would call this hyperlinking, right? You know, when you hover over a word, it brings you back to something that shows in the past. If you have your Bible, sometimes it points to references back in the Old Testament. The Bible is, I like the way the Bible Project puts it. They say the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. <laughs> So what happens is, reading the Old Testament, reading the New Testament, a helpful uh, way to study and really learn the Bible inside out is thinking where you've seen this before. Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun, right? Everything that has been will be again. And God is repeating messages throughout the Bible. Here's a great example. It's like, yeah, this guy will never trust me is we, let's go back to the very beginning of the Bible. This is what we would call a motif or a theme that happens in the Bible. Is uh, how did man fall according to the Bible? How, what was our sin? Disobedience. Disobedience. We ate of a fruit we shouldn't eat. So what happens is, is Eve sees a tree. That's what the text says. She saw the tree. Now listen to the words. She saw, right? So we're focusing on the eyes. She saw that the tree was good. Looked good, right? And she saw that it was beautiful. Matter of fact, not the only that was good, but she saw that it was beautiful. So she saw that it was good. She took the fruit. She grabbed it. She took it. That's the Bible says. She saw. She took the fruit, and she ate. Okay. We go over to Genesis six. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. They saw them. 
And so they took them as wives. Well, that's the same motif. It's not accidental. David looked out his window. He saw Bathsheba taking a bath. She saw that she was beautiful. What did David do? Took her for his wife. I, mean, I could give you more if you want to start the rest of the day. That's just a couple. So there's a theme in the Bible of people seeing, taking, and falling. Now, what does that mean for us? Do you think God is trying to communicate a message there? What happens with our eyes? Where does lust start at? Starts with our eyes. And it has a thought. And what do we do? We take. And what do we do after we fall victim to it? We fall. These themes are there. And they're not only there for great stories to sound academic. God is communicating something about human nature. The first humans did this. And people always say, well, you know, it blows my mind that you could be physically walking with God and there's no sin, there's no corrupt nature, and we still do the wrong thing. What does that say about us? The power of our eyes and our thoughts. Because Eve was reasoning in her mind. She saw that it was good, right? She saw that it was beautiful. And so she's reasoning. She goes, oh, this is good for food. And nowhere in her mind are the thoughts of God that said, hey, you shall eat whatever you're in the garden, except for this one. Right? And here comes the dominoes. And we can look at our own lives. How many of our lives, the dominoes started because of something we saw and we started thinking about when we went and did something we should not have done? Mine started like that. Everyone else, I imagine, starts to sin. Me too. Right? And we are a victim of other people's sin because that happens to us. Right? So, that's not that what the text is about. But these are questions you should ask yourself. Even if you just read a small amount, have I seen this before? What is he trying to tell me? What's the lesson in this? Why? Like this guy, names mean something. Barabbas. We all know that Abba is father, right? But it's just slowing down a little bit to say, wait a minute, what's in the name here? Because you guys have heard of Bar Israel, right? We have all these names, Bar Raphael, son of Raphael. There's a little bit of question. If you don't know, say, hey, what does this mean? You could come to church. Bar Abbas, son of the father. The son of the father was set free. The son of God went on the cross. I mean, it, when you discover these things on your own, it's like, have you ever had that moment? Have you ever had an epiphany when you're reading the Bible? That's so cool. It's such an exciting adventure. And God does these things. So ask those questions. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your great word. We just thank you for this day, Father, even though uh, we were missing uh, a lot of our congregation and things weren't working, you are still good, and we still have it very good. You know, we're under a roof uh, that we, uh, we have access to your word without persecution. Father God, and we can freely proclaim that you are the king. So I just pray, Lord, that uh, the message today will, will help us to meditate and think about everything that Jesus did. And Jesus, you are everything. That on top of that, you did bear our sins on that cross. That you were thinking about us thousands of years later. That any sin that I would commit was carried on that cross. And then to think that you did that while carrying Israel. Taking their place and becoming a faithful covenant partner. It's just absolutely phenomenal. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Church said Amen. Well, Brother Sam, can you come up here, please? And uh, if you have any questions about today's message, if you text them in, I forgot to say it. There's a number in the digital bulletin. You can text it in, and Sam and I will try to answer them right after this.
Pastor Mike, thanks for your sermon. I think uh, as I sat and listened to that, that great sermon, uh, I was reminded that scripture, the Bible is not 